Well, hello, and once again, welcome to Vaughn Forest Church, and Merry Christmas. Uh, Like Adam said earlier, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Vaughn Forest, and I'm excited to be here with you today as we are continuing our Christmas message series, Hidden Christmas. For the last few weeks, we have been taking a journey together through the series, uh, taking a look at what Christmas is really all about, to quote the great theologian Linus from Charlie Brown. Uh, But before we get to today's message, I do have just a couple of quick reminders Uh, for you. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but one week from today, one week from right now is Christmas morning. One week from today is Christmas morning. I said that in the first service, and literally my first thought was, that can't be right. Oh no, it's 100% right. So a quick reminder, A, if you haven't gotten your Christmas shopping done, you need to get that done. I think there's probably still time for Amazon to deliver a few packages to your house. I see some of you pulling out your phone now to order those things. Uh, But with next Sunday being Christmas, it's a reminder that this coming Saturday, December 24th, is our Christmas Eve candlelight service. This Saturday, December 24th at 4 p.m. in this room. And like Adam said, this is a family-friendly service. We're going to have all the kids, all the babies, all of our family, all of our friends uh, in this room. And this, honestly, it's one of my favorite things we do every single year. So seldomly do we get to all gather together uh, in one room and worship together. And that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so fantastic. I think it's going to be the highlight of your Christmas season. We're going to come in here. We're going to sing some of your favorite Christmas songs. We're going to have a brief message from Adam. There's going to be a special time for all of our kids where they're going to receive a free gift. And then we're going to light candles together. All of us, everyone who comes in here is going to get a candle. What could go wrong, right? Uh, But it's going to be a blast. And I hope that you will join us. And uh, that service is not going to be super long. So you'll have plenty of time to come and then get to the rest of your Christmas plans. So invite your family, invite your friends. This Saturday, 4 p.m., our family-friendly Christmas Eve candlelight service. I know that you will love it. And then, again, one week from today, Christmas morning, if you look in your bulletin, there is a flyer. I know Adam mentioned this briefly earlier, but I'll go over it again. Uh, There are no on-campus services next Sunday. Instead, we will have a family devotion that's going to go live uh, next Sunday morning online, uh, on all of our social media, on our website, vaughnforest.com, on our YouTube channel. And uh, I I would really, really encourage you to get your family gathered together for that devotion on Christmas morning. It's going to be a great way to kick off your morning with your family. Watch that, and I think that you will get a lot out of it. And then two weeks from today, if you can believe it, is January 1st, 2023, New Year's Day. And we're going to have one service that day at 9.30 a.m. So you guys here at 11 will have to come a few minutes earlier. Uh, but one service that day at 9.30 a.m. We will have child care for preschool and under. We will also have that service online. And then on January 8th, we are back to our normal schedule at 9.30 and 11. Child care, student ministry, everything going on this campus. And at that point, we will be full swing into 2023. But before we get to that, we still have a lot of Christmas to celebrate here. And I am excited to be here with you today as we are wrapping up this Christmas series. You see what I did there? Wrapping up the Christmas series. Wrapping. It's a Christmas joke. All right. But we're going to be wrapping up this series today. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we have taken a look at some of the different aspects of the gift of Jesus at Christmas time, some of the different attributes of this gift of Jesus at Christmas time. And if you've missed any of those messages, 
I would encourage you to head over to VaughnForest.com or our YouTube channel. Uh, you can get caught up on all of those messages. There's been some really great teaching uh, in this series. But for today, we are going to be looking at the gift of Jesus, the gift of Emmanuel. But before we get to that, our big idea for the series is that to understand Christmas is to understand the gospel. We have said that when we more fully understand Christmas, we more fully understand the gospel. When we truly understand what Christmas represents, we have a better understanding of the gospel as a whole. And we get this from a verse in Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2, where the prophet writes, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you'll notice here in the scripture that it says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on these people walking in darkness, a light has dawned. Not a light has sprung up from this darkness, but rather a light has dawned on this darkness. That we, the people walking in darkness, were never going to be able to fix the darkness on our own. So instead, God sent us a rescuer, this light at Christmas time. And this rescuer, this light, is the gift of Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger. And so again, we're going to be taking a look at how Jesus at Christmas time was the gift of Emmanuel. Literally, this word Emmanuel means God with us that God would step out of heaven and come to this earth and dwell with us. How Jesus is this gift of Emmanuel at Christmas time. But before we get to the arrival of Jesus here on earth and the baby in the manger, I want to talk for just a few minutes to kind of set it up. I want to talk about prophecy. I want to talk about some of the Old Testament prophecies that preceded the birth of Jesus Christ. And I would argue that one of the things that separates Jesus Christ and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection from everything else, from anyone else that's ever walked on this planet, is the amount of prophecy that preceded it. Now, the question is what is the qualification of a prophecy? What does a prophecy, how accurate does it have to be in order for it to be from God? How accurate does a prophet have to be to be a prophet of the Lord? And the answer is 100% accuracy. In order for someone to be a prophet of God, they have to be right 100% of the time. Every prophecy that they make has to come true. And we learn this from a verse in Deuteronomy where it says, You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. And the great thing about all of these prophecies about the birth of Jesus, every single one of them came to pass. Every single prophecy that was given about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ came to pass. And this gives us confidence that Jesus was who he says he was, Emmanuel, literally God in flesh walking among us. So I want to take a look at some of these prophecies, and we're going to go uh, through the Old Testament and look at some of these. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can follow along with us. If not, no worries. We're going to put all the scripture up here on the screens. So to set the stage, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden. 
Uh, Many of you probably know the story, but for those of you that don't, God creates a perfect world, and he creates the Garden of Eden. It's a perfect place. There is no sin. Everything is great. There's all these trees and beautiful plants. There's animals, and there's mankind, Adam and Eve. And he puts them in the garden, and he says, this place is perfect. You can eat from any of the trees with the exception of one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, of course, what do they go do? They go eat from the tree they're not supposed to. Any parent can tell you exactly what they did. They went and did the one thing they were not supposed to. Adam and Eve, you literally had one job, and you messed that up, right? So they go, and they eat from this tree, and sin enters the world, and the cosmos is shattered. The world is broken, and we still feel the effect of that brokenness today. We still feel the effect of that sin entering our world today. Just look around. Turn on the news. You see evidence of that brokenness everywhere. We see war, we see disease, we see pain, we see sadness. We look around and we know that this world is broken. And it's all the way back here, right after sin enters the world, that we're going to get the first prophecy that God is going to fix it. That God is going to send us a rescuer and that he is going to take the worst of the punishment on himself. In Genesis 3.15, God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so all the way back here in the garden, we're going to get our first prophecy that a rescuer is coming. And how is God going to accomplish this? By sending his son, Jesus. Jesus is sent to us at Christmas time. And so I want to go through some of these prophecies Uh, about the birth of Jesus and talk about why they are so important. So we're going to unpack some of these prophecies, and uh, you guys follow along with me. So the first prophecy we're going to look at today is the virgin birth. The prophet Isaiah writes, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. This is where we're getting the title of our message today. Emmanuel, literally God with us. Now, most folks familiar with the Christmas story would probably say they are familiar with the virgin birth. The fact that Mary, who was a virgin, conceived and gave birth to a child. Now, the rest of the prophecies we're going to look at today, you could possibly make the argument that there was uh, the possibility there was a little bit of coincidence there. Although if you look at the odds of all of these prophecies coming true about one person, the odds of coincidence go out the window. But when we look at the virgin birth, this is straight miracle. This is 100% miracle. And Adam preached on this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how the angel came to Mary and came to Joseph and said that you will give birth to a savior. And she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And he said, the Lord will make this happen. And so the first sign that we get is a miracle, a straight miracle that a virgin conceives and gives birth to a child. The second prophecy that we're going to look at today is that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now again, those of us familiar with the Christmas story, we all know how Mary, she was very, very pregnant, about to give birth, and her and her husband Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem, where he was from, because there was a census being taken. So they travel back, and they go to the inn, and there's no room in the inn, and then the innkeeper says, well, I have this manger, this barn out back, and sure enough, in Bethlehem, amongst the animals in the hay, the Savior of the world enters into our planet. 
And so once again, even though Jesus was not from Bethlehem, the prophecy comes true that he would be born in Bethlehem. This is not, however, where he would grow up. Our third prophecy is that Jesus would spend time in Egypt. Hosea 11.1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, if Jesus is born in Bethlehem, why are we talking about him spending time in Egypt? Well, again, to go back to the Christmas story, many of us are familiar with the wise men, the magi, and how one day they looked up and they saw this new star in the sky, and uh, they looked at their books of prophecy, and it meant that a king was born who would save mankind. So what do they do? They head west looking for this king. Along the way, another king named Herod uh, intercepts them and says, hey, what are you guys doing here? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. says, what are you guys doing here? And they say, hey, we've seen the star in the sky. It means that a king has been born. Well, Herod didn't like that because he was king and he didn't want anyone who was going to challenge his authority. And so he tells them, hey, on your way back, let me know where this, this, this baby has been born so that I can worship him as well. And he's straight line. He wants to take Jesus out. He wants to murder Jesus and get rid of him so that there is no uh, challenge to his authority. Well, in a dream, uh, Joseph sees an angel who tells him to go to Egypt and get away because Herod's going to be coming after them. So Joseph and Mary and Jesus, Jesus pack it up and go to Egypt. And they spent time there until King Herod had passed away, and then they came back home. So once again, this prophecy was fulfilled. Our fourth prophecy is that Jesus would be of the lineage of David. Isaiah writes, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch, capital B, will bear fruit. Jesse was the father of King David. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew spends the first half of chapter 1, the beginning of the Christmas story, from his point of view, setting up the lineage of Jesus. And why does he do that? Because he is showing that this is not a fairy tale, that this actually happened that Jesus was descended from Abraham and then to King David and to where he's at now, that the prophecy has come true. And Matthew's wanting everybody to know that. So Jesus was descended from King David. And then our fifth prophecy we'll look at today is that Jesus would come from humble roots. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom the people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now, how was this fulfilled? Very simply, there was nothing incredible or amazing or wondrous or important about where Jesus was born or where he came from. Literally born in a barn, they would then go to Egypt where they were outsiders, aliens in a foreign country, and then go back to Nazareth, which is where Jesus would grow up. And Nazareth was nothing crazy to speak of. Literally, at one point in Scripture, somebody says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And if you continue reading Isaiah 53, you'll see even more prophecy about Jesus, about his death, and how he would atone for our sins. So why go through all this prophecy? Why talk about all this stuff? Like, yeah, it's kind of neat, that's awesome, but why do we do that? Well, one, because it shows us that all the way back at the very beginning and all throughout time that God was working out his plan of salvation. That God was working out his rescue plan for this rebel race known as humanity. Behind the scenes, God was constantly working. The other reason we go through this prophecy is because it gives us confidence that Jesus was who he says he was Emmanuel, God with us. 
All of this prophecy points to it being true, points to it being fact, and gives us confidence in the deity of Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus was God, if he put on flesh and dwelt with us, then that means something for our lives today. And that's our big idea for today's message, that God putting on flesh and dwelling with us has big implications for my life. God putting on flesh and dwelling with us has big implications for my life. Oftentimes at Christmas, the story is so familiar, we tend to kind of blow right past this, but when we stop and we consider what it means for God, Jesus, to be Emmanuel, God with us, that means there are some pretty big implications for our lives. And so we're going to take a look at some of those today. If you have your notes, go ahead and pull those out. We're going to kind of go through these. I'll give you a few things to jot down. If you're watching us online, you can find all these notes in our Vaughn Forest Church app. But we're going to take a look at some of the implications for our life of Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us. The first implication is this, that because the incarnation is real, it's all real. Because the incarnation is real, it's all real. Now, what does this word incarnation mean? Uh, It's kind of a fancy word of just saying that God put on flesh and dwelt with us, that God, deity in heaven, literally manifested physically here on this planet. He was God incarnate. And we know this because of John, what John writes in chapter 1, verse 14 of his gospel. He says, the word, and notice this capital W, this is a proper noun, he's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when we talk about the incarnation, I think it's very easy for us to not stop and consider it. You know, we think about the other miracles that Jesus did, whether it's water into wine, the deaf being able to hear, the lame being able to walk, the blind being able to see. Maybe we even think about him living a perfect life and dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we can be saved, covering the sins of billions. We think about all of these different miracles, and sometimes we move right past what many theologians consider to be one of the biggest miracles of all, and that is the reality of the incarnation, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. The author J.I. Packer, in his book Knowing God, says this, that God became man, the divine son became a Jew, the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. And I think for a lot of folks, their path to faith is blocked by unbelief. Maybe unbelief in the miracles of Jesus. Maybe unbelief in that who he was, who he said he was, that he could perform these different miracles, rise from the dead, wipe out the sin of billions. But when you accept the fact of the incarnation as truth, all of that goes away. Because if God in heaven can put on flesh and dwell with us, is there anything that would be impossible for him? 
And all of these prophecies and all of the evidence, both biblical and extra-biblical, points to the truth that Jesus was who he says he was, the God of the universe. And that is amazing. It is mind-blowing that in this manger in Bethlehem, in this baby, was something that was bigger than anything we could ever conceive. And it always reminds me, there's books called the Chronicles of Narnia. You may be familiar with them. An author named C.S. Lewis wrote them. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, the book, The Last Battle, Lucy, one of the children, says this, that yes, in our world, something was once born in a stable that was larger than our entire world. And this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying there was bigger than anything else. All of the evidence points to it being fact and reality. And because that is real, that means everything else about it is real. Everything else about our faith is real. And that is why when Jesus was born at Christmas time, the heavens proclaimed his birth, the angels sang, and everything on our planet changed. Our next implication of Jesus being Emmanuel is because Jesus is who he claimed to be, we have a decision to make. Because Jesus is who he claimed to be, we have a decision to make. When we look at the claim that Jesus is God, it presents two things for us. One, it presents an intellectual challenge. And we've talked already about the prophecy and the overwhelming mountain of evidence that supports that Jesus was who he claims to be. So there's an intellectual challenge there. An intellectual challenge is something that pops up that maybe you can think about for a little while. You can kind of come and go from it, come back, think through it at different times. So there's an intellectual challenge, but the second thing that it presents is a personal crisis. There's an intellectual challenge, but then there's also a personal Crisis. Now, what is a crisis? A crisis is something that doesn't go away. It demands your attention immediately. And there's this idea that we can kind of just like Jesus, that we can be for some of his teachings and think that maybe Jesus didn't say that he was God or ignore what Jesus said about himself being God, that we can ignore his claim to deity. And unfortunately, he has not left us that choice, which means that we have a decision to make. The same author that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, wrote many other books. One of them is called Mere Christianity. And in Mere Christianity, he brings up the liar, lunatic, or lord decision that we must all make. And he says that Jesus was one of these three things. He was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was lord. A, he was a liar, he knew he was not son of God, and he got up, and the things that he said about himself were not true, and he deceived all of these people, and therefore he is not worthy of our devotion. B, he's a lunatic. He actually did think he was a son of God, but he's not. He didn't do the things that people said he did, and he is crazy, and therefore he is not worthy of our devotion. Or C, he is Lord, and he is God, and he is worthy of every bit of devotion that we have. C.S. Lewis wraps up this argument by saying this, that you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And we must make the choice. This is the personal crisis that exists before us. We must make a choice of who we think that he is. And when we call him Lord and God, it means we must daily follow him. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, and he says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
All of the evidence points to Jesus being who he said he was, God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, walking amongst us. And let me tell you something this morning, that if he is who he says he was, and he is, that is really, really good news for us. That is really, really good news for us. And the reason is because of our third implication of Emmanuel, because Jesus is God, we can have hope. Because Jesus is God, we can have hope. Because Jesus is who he claimed to be, we can have hope. Because if Jesus is God, and he is, then that means that this world is not all that there is. It means that there is something past this life, and we can have hope for the hereafter. But also we can have hope here. We can have hope here. Even in the troubles of this world and the brokenness that we talked about that happened when sin entered into our world and broke it, we can still have hope. Jesus is talking in the book of John, and he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is incredible news. And it shows you why our God is so unique. Some of the different attributes of God, he is holy, he is just, he is loving, he is righteous. If God was only some of these things, it would be really bad news for us. If God was only holy and just, then he never would have come down here to rescue us from our sin. If God was all accepting and not caring about us, then he would not have come to rescue us from our pain. But God is holy and he is just. He is also all loving. And so because of that, he said, I'm going to make a way. He knew that we as humanity would never be able to reach up to him. So instead, he reached down to us. And he didn't send someone else. He came himself. He came on the rescue mission of heaven himself. And because of that, God is able to understand what we go through so we can have hope. But then our fourth implication is that because Jesus was human, he can relate to us and give us comfort. Because Jesus was human, he can relate to us and give us comfort. So often we overlook the manhood of Jesus because of his godhood. We tend to overlook the fact that Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. But it's so important to remember that he was both because it shows us that Jesus has gone through everything that we go through. And because of that, he can relate to us and give us hope. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. For this reason he had to be made like them." fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Do you understand how unique this is? How unique this is amongst all the different religious systems and faith systems of the world. The idea that God would humble himself and become human, it's contrary to everything that exists in the natural order. But the scripture says that he was made human in every single way. That he knows everything 
that we go through. When we say Emmanuel, God with us, it shatters all of these preconceived notions. And think about in your life when you've gone through a really tough time. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a huge financial loss. Maybe it was something that cut you so deep that you didn't know how you were ever going to get out of it. And you've had people in your life with the best of intentions who come to you and say, hey, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you. And you appreciate that. You appreciate that. But it doesn't necessarily offer you a lot of hope until someone comes along who has been through the exact same situation that you have been through. And they say, hey, I know where you're at. I've been there. Let me tell you something. There's hope. There's hope on the other side of this. They're able to give you that hope and that comfort. And because Jesus was human in every way and endured everything that we endure, it means that Jesus can relate to us, that we can go to him with our problems, we can go to him with our pain. The incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel, means that God triumphed over all of this hurt and this pain, and he offers us hope. And Christmas is a reminder of that So how does God do that? How practically, what does that look like for us? Well, several different ways. One, we read his word. Two, we worship. Three, we pray. And then four, we lean on each other. God has given us one another to help us out in our time of need. We've said oftentimes here that God's plan for the pain is his people. And we have an opportunity to do that today here at Vaughn Forest Church. This afternoon at four o'clock, we have our Christmas remembrance service And I know for a lot of folks, Christmas is a really fun time, but for a lot of people, Christmas is not such a joyful time. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently, or you lost a loved one in the past, and that hurt, that pain doesn't seem to go away, and because of that, Christmas can be really tough. And if that's you, I want to let you know that your church is here for you. And today at 4 o'clock, we're going to gather in the East Auditorium, we're going to sing some Christmas hymns, we're going to pray together, we're going to pray for one another. We're going to have a brief message of hope, and we're going to have a time of lighting a candle in remembrance of those that have gone on to be with the Lord. And our our hope and our prayer with this service is that it offers you a little bit more comfort, a little bit more peace at Christmas time. Again, God's plan for the pain is His people, and God has given us one another to lean on each other in our time of need. And Jesus actually set this standard of service. Our fifth implication of Emmanuel is that because God humbled Himself, we should serve others. Because God humbled himself, we should serve others. When God stepped out of heaven and stepped into this earth, he voluntarily set aside some of his divine attributes and some of his power. And the best example that I can give you of this, I think back to when my kids were little and uh, we would play wrestle, right? And they would jump on top of me and they would pin dad and I would act like, oh, they got me. I mean, if I had wanted to at any point, I could have picked one of those kids up and thrown them across the room, right? But I didn't do that because I don't want to go to jail and because I love them. And so I didn't do that. I was voluntarily holding back a little bit of my strength and not doing that. Well, in the same way, when God stepped out of heaven and stepped here on earth, he set aside some of his divine attributes. He was holding back. He was not showing himself in his fully God form, even though he was fully God and fully fully man. And not only did he hold back, he took on the nature of a servant. He came to serve. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in God's economy, it's crazy how so often the way we think that things should be get turned on their head. The Jews, the Israelites, at this, they were expecting a conquering king to come, but instead, God delivers a baby in a manger. The first ones to get the news about the birth of Jesus were these shepherds laying in a field. It wasn't kings. It wasn't all these other important folks. It was these shepherds who, at the time Jesus was born, if you were a shepherd, it probably meant you weren't like the highest of society, right? There was a reason you were not in the city, that you were outside tending to these flocks. And in God's economy, he so often turns things on their head. We think that Jesus, God in flesh, would come here and that we should serve him, but he came to serve literally at one point, washing the feet of his disciples. And what Paul is telling us here is that in the same way that God incarnate came here to earth, that he served others, he is calling us to imitate Christ, to serve one another. And then finally, our last implication of Emmanuel is that because Jesus is Emmanuel, we can know him personally. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, we can know him personally. There's three different ideas wrapped up in this word, Emmanuel. One, that he is God. Two, that he is man. And three, he is with us. We can know him. And that doesn't shock us really like it should. If you look at any appearance of God to mankind... In the Old Testament, every single time someone encountered God, the reaction was fear. The reaction is, I'm going to die because they would see the glory of God. Literally, Isaiah, when he walks into the temple and he sees the glory of God, he says, I am undone. The reaction was always fear. And yet, once again, in God's economy, he turns this on his head, comes as the baby in the manger, and now we can know him personally. We have a privilege that so many of those in the Old Testament would have lost their minds over And the incarnation doesn't simply exist to let us know that God is real. It also exists to draw us near to him. Look at what the book of Matthew says. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God came at Christmas time in the form of the baby in the manger so that we could be saved from our sins, so that we could know him personally. The band's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And my challenge to you during this time of response as we enter into this Christmas week is to think about what is it that God is calling you to today? What's the implication for your life of Emmanuel, God with us? Is it to know him for the first time? Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never made him Lord of your life. If you're interested in learning more about that, on your connection card, there's a box that you can check that says, I'd like to have more information about becoming a follower of Jesus. Check that box, drop it off in one of the metal bins. We, we would love to follow up with you this week on that. Maybe your response today during this time where we sing and worship together is just to worship him for his humble sacrifice, to have a, more, uh, a better perspective of what it meant when God stepped out of heaven and stepped into this earth. Maybe your response is to commit to serve others during this time of year, there's many, many opportunities that we have where we get to serve others around us. And maybe as we go into this Christmas week, that's your response this morning. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, my challenge to you as we lead into this week before Christmas is to keep Jesus, Emmanuel, at the forefront of all that we do, to worship him, God, with us. Let's pray. So, Father, we do thank you for the gift of Emmanuel.
at Christmas time. God, we thank you for what it means. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. God, we thank you for dwelling with us, God, so that we could know you personally. And God, I just pray now, as we respond and worship God, that you will move on our hearts. That God, as we praise you, God, that we would keep you at the forefront of everything we do. And as we move into this Christmas week, God, that we can look to you alone and worship you for who you are. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.